From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Benta Berkland, your host this week. I'm here with my colleague, Caitlin Kim. Hi, Benta. So, yes, the election is over, but we just couldn't stay away. We, we had to do one more episode. <laughs> Bonus episode. Yay! Yay! And we have two guests with us this week, virtually with us this week. Yes, we are excited to be joined by two of the biggest names in Colorado politics that you might not have heard of. Craig Hughes is a Democratic political consultant and a partner at Hilltop Public Solutions. He's helped Democrats win elections in Colorado at the highest levels of office. In 2010, he ran Senator Michael Bennett's campaign and continues to be Bennett's senior advisor. And our other virtual guest is Josh Penry. He served in the state legislature for six years, eventually becoming the Republican Senate Minority Leader. He runs EIS Solutions and has managed many successful political ballot measures. Craig Hughes and Josh Penry, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us on. So first off, it's it's hard to argue that this election wasn't a good year for Democratic candidates in Colorado. Democrats flipped a U.S. Senate seat from red to blue, and Joe Biden won the presidential race in Colorado by double digits. Democrats also picked up one seat in the state Senate. And I'll start with you, Josh. What does this mean for the Republican Party moving forward? Well, obviously, it was a, a good night for the Democratic Party in Colorado and, and nationally. And the reason for that, there, there's layers of complexity to it. Obviously, Colorado is evolving rapidly. It's become a younger and more progressive state over the space of the last 10 years. But really, uh, you can put the success on the, of the Democratic Party in Colorado and nationally on the doorstep of Donald Trump, who uh, in Colorado, at least, and in other large pockets across the country is overwhelmingly and broadly unpopular. So it was, it was a tough night for the Republican Party in Colorado, but I've been around long enough. You know, Republicans had tough nights in 2008 and 2010 only to see gains clawed back the pendulum swings. And, and I suspect that will be the case here as well. And what's your sense, Craig? Yeah, I think it was a it was a repudiation, obviously, of Trump, who is, as Josh said, I mean, he is actually toxic here in Colorado. His his strongly unfavorables have always been above 50 percent. And the 2018 elections were the first massive repudiation of Trump and strong move towards Democrats uh, winning statewide elections. And 2020 just really built on that and not only wins, but really huge margins um, and building upon the margins in the so in the suburbs, but also into more Republican areas like Douglas and El Paso County. So it was a really strong win. Uh, I will echo, though, what Josh says is that um, elections are points in time and the pendulum does start to swing. And a lot of this was Trump based. I think where we where the Republican Party goes now will be very interesting to see if if that pendulum can shift in Colorado or if we are indeed a blue state. We were definitely following the U.S. Senate race pretty closely here between Republican incumbent Cory Gardner and Democrat John Hickenlooper. Hickenlooper won by a, a sizable margin. You know, and Caitlin, you were talking to a lot of voters on the West Slope and did a couple election road trips. And from, from what you were hearing from voters, do you think there's much Gardner could have done differently? You know, I don't. I mean, a lot of I think what Senator Gardner was depending on was a lot of these split ticket voters. But I feel because of Trump on the top of the ticket, it, it just sort of overwhelmed, at least on the on the top end. Right. The federal things. For the most part, everyone I was talking to was saying they were going to vote party lines for President, Senator, and Congress. It was when you got down to like the actual like, state level stuff that people would start thinking, oh, yeah, here's where I might split the ticket or at least consider someone from a different party. 
But I'm, I have a question for for Craig and Josh based on on the conversation earlier. You know, we, we've been talking about the Republican Party. I'm kind of curious about what you think this means for the Democratic Party in Colorado and this pendulum. I mean, 2018, 2020, is this the height of the blue wave here in Colorado, or do you still see room for the party to expand and grow? Uh, I would say there's a little bit of potential expansion, but uh, the dominance in the state house and the state senate is pretty large right now, and the margins you saw at the tip, top of the ticket are are pretty hard to match. Frankly, I think now it's about governing. It's about responsible governing and showing that Democrats in charge is better for Colorado. And that's really the goal now. I think electorally, it's hard to do much better. Josh, would you agree? Yeah, I think it a lot will depend on how they how you know how the Democratic Party now kind of with unfettered control of the state behaves in the in the coming years. You know, Colorado is still fundamentally a, a down the middle kind of state, obviously hewing uh, hewing blue, but they like their politics balanced. And so, you know, I think one of the real challenges for leadership in the House and the Senate, and obviously Governor Polis, at the end of the day, it rests with him foremost, is can they pursue a mainstream agenda or do they get captured by or get pushed, cajoled by sort of a fringe element of their base, which is is loud, is restive, is demanding, um, is pushing policies that are, you know, I think out of the mainstream nationally and certainly in Colorado. So a lot of what happens to Democrats in the coming year will be, depend on, you know, how they, how they manage the, the overwhelming power they've been given in the short term. So politics is also a lot about messaging. And I want to get your take on the, how effective you think the messaging was of Republicans sort of tarnishing Democrats as far left defunding police. Cause I feel like that was actually quite successful. And I'm kind of curious about your take. Josh, what do you think? Well, I think it was case by case. In a lot of states, it worked. Democratic candidates who didn't draw bright lines against defunding the police had very bad nights. So it was potent where it was factual. The national committees tried to bring some of that against Hickenlooper, and that's just not who he is, right? And, and he was clear enough early on that I think he managed to, 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 to build a wall, for lack of a better metaphor, around him and, and, it, and it didn't impact him. But at the end of the day, those issues are going to continue. The, the Democratic Party over time is going to have to continue to deal with those in an effective way or it could hurt them. But this election was fundamentally in Colorado, in the suburbs. It wasn't about that. It was mm-hmm. about Donald Trump, that first level of analysis and whatever qualms or misgivings they had. You know, frankly, Hickenlooper's numbers were really lackluster. He was a lackluster candidate. In spite of all that, they came in, many of them like intercepted their ballot at the mailbox. They knew who they were going to vote for because of that first order consideration, Donald Trump. I think it's also really hard to define people when they are already defined the other way. I mean, I think Joe Biden, John Hickenlooper have long careers in public service, have long track records. You can't credibly call them socialists or say that they want to get rid of police forces given their records, who they are, what they've done over time. So I think for those candidates, that didn't stick at all. Um, And that's part of who they were. I mean, John Hickenlooper has a long brand in Colorado. I also think it's one of the reasons this corruption attack didn't stick. Uh, This is a guy who was a very successful mayor, very successful governor, led us to the strongest economy in the nation. And all of a sudden, it was this corruption, corruption, corruption. And the voters just rejected it out of hand. Yeah, I think yeah, we I, heard I, that. I, if I could, can I just jump in on that? I, yeah. I, I apologize. That was, you know, John Hickenlooper got caught with his hand in the cookie jar and it actually cost him. But there had to be a next act. There had to be a next argument. Whoever thought that a couple of, you know, uh, some private jet trips were, were going to be enough 
to undo what Craig said, which was a sort of people's perception. I mean, it was it was a horrible mistake. And there are argument. There was a, a more meaningful argument to make a series of more meaningful arguments. Um, and so I, I thought that was badly overplayed. I mean, they must have put thirty thousand points of TV behind it. They probably could have got away, got gotten away with two or three thousand of them. Actually, made a more meaningful argument against him representing Colorado in the Senate. Yeah, I think you're both spot on. When we talked to a lot of voters who were going to back Hickenlooper, I think those attacks uh, were effective, but at the same time, it didn't change what they thought about him overall or maybe how they were going to vote in the end. So you, you both have described President Trump as toxic in Colorado. Around the country, we, we saw Trump make gains in a lot of states. Why do you think his brand of conservatism doesn't play as well here? And what could the Republican Party here learn from that? I mean, I, I think Corey was kind of, uh, you know, he was the most high-profile Republican elected official in the state, and now we, we won't have him in that position. So is there a vacuum? On, on Corey, you know, it's, it's interesting. Corey's the gifted politician that we all know him to be, and he's a close friend of mine, so I'm not a sort of a dispassionate person in this conversation. But he did make an, an important choice early on to make the argument that he was effective, that he had you know, brought the BLM to Grand Junction, that he had passed sweeping conservation legislation, Space Command, really kind of a almost like a, you know an Alaska senator from days of yore. I brought the goods home to my state. I think a, a different way to approach the race would have been how Susan Collins approached it, and frankly, how Susan Collins has pursued her mm-hmm. tenure in Washington, which is an independent voice, mm, okay. right? And and, and, mm-hmm. and to me, I think in moments like this, people want to know, are you good at your job? You work hard? Yeah, that's important. But like when push comes to shove, are you with the party instead of me? And so because Corey said, you know, I'm effective and I'm working with these, you know, the, the administration gets these things done, I think he sort of minimized his ability to make the case that he was an independent voice for the state. Yeah, I think that's an interesting yeah. take because you're right. We did hear so much about his record. You know, Craig, would you, is that your sense too? I echo it. And I think, I think Senator Gardner had a chance to lose by less than he did uh, by maybe going that independent route and trying to be the Susan Collins. And I think there were key moments, you know, voting for, uh, President Trump and the emergency powers to divert money from uh, projects to the wall, the Amy Coney Barrett Supreme Court nomination. There were points in time where he could have stood up and said no, and then I'm standing with Colorado, not with Trump. And he went the other direction. And Josh is exactly right. He said, I'm, I'm working with Trump to be effective for Colorado. And that was never going to win this race. It just wasn't. And fundamentally, I don't think he could have overcome this top of the ticket anchor that was Donald Trump, but it would have been very interesting to show some real independence from Trump and see if that's a better path. I'm kind of curious, though, talking about this independence from Trump, I thought, or at least it seemed to me, at least nationally across a lot of these races, senators have been very reluctant to show independence from Trump because you need that base, right? If Cory Gardner was had any chance of success here, it would have been the base plus you know, people he could convince in the unaffiliated. So, you know, how do you find that balance? I mean, I feel like that was like the biggest challenge. How do you find that balance between supporting Trump, but also being independent? I do think you have to acknowledge there aren't enough Republicans anymore for the base strategy to win in Colorado. I mean, the turnout here was there were 40% of those who voted were unaffiliated. Um, It is now the largest political party in Colorado by a huge margin. So a base first strategy does not win Colorado. I think Mm -hmm. Strategically, you've got to say, I'm going to let President Trump turn out the base. I'm pretty confident that they will vote for me 
as another federal office holder on the ticket to hold the Republican majority in the U.S. Senate. But I'm going to spend my time appealing to those unaffiliated voters that dominate Colorado elections. This point that, that Craig just made about independents, it is such a key one. Independents are the major block. We, you know, we do a lot of data work and polling in, in our shop looking at ballot initiatives and some candidate work. The really important data point I always tell Republicans, independents are the largest block. And of those independents, you know, between 60 and 65 percent of that 40 percent are younger, more progressive voters. So the math is is a massive challenge. And so what, is, what does it mean? It means you actually have to behave as a centrist. You have to govern as a centrist. You have to lead as a centrist. You can't become a wholly owned subsidiary of the Republican Party or, frankly, even the Democratic Party if you want to survive long term. How does Lauren Boebert then fit into that kind of equation? Yeah, I mean, you know, voters are complicated. They're a complicated lot. Uh, you know, obviously, the third congressional district isn't the isn't the Denver and metro suburbs. Um, so that's the beginning of it. I will say, if you look at Republicans that won some of these contested congressional seats around the country, they were women. They were minorities. They weren't like patrician old white guys. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, her shtick is her shtick and it's unique unto itself. We, I think Republicans would be smart not to overlearn lessons from her. But I do think running strong, capable women uh, who uh, advocate a centrist program in the in the suburbs is still very much a winning formula for my party. Yeah, I think if, if Republicans allow Lauren Boebert to be the face and the voice of the Republican Party in Colorado, it's going to make their climb back even steeper. Um, CD3, which I live in, is very conservative, and it's very difficult for a Democrat to win. And I think, you know, Boebert's uh, the race was closer than it needed to be because she was more extreme than the district, but it is a very uh, Republican district, and she was able to to carry that. But uh, if she is the voice of the GOP, I think that's not going to augur well for them. So wanted to touch on another big thing. We talked about this election cycle, just so many ballot measures that voters decided and Definitely conservatives racked up some wins there with some of the fiscal issues. Do you think that that's a path forward we could see, you know, for a state that is centrist in some ways? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you look at it, you now have a Democratic governor, a strong Democratic Senate, Democratic House. If you're a conservative, the ballot box is your route to try to make policy changes. And I think the the passing of the two propositions on the, the income tax decrease and the kind of Tabor fee change the fact that they passed gives conservatives hope that the ballot box is the way to go about things. So I think you're going to see some very complicated shenanigans, for lack of a better word, but strategic decisions about what to put on the ballot and what not to put on the ballot. Because if if you are a conservative in Colorado, you're not going to get it done through the legislature and the governor. You've got to go another route. And that's the way to do it. And Josh, did anything surprise you about the ballot initiative results? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I take a step back and, you know, what does it say about voters in Colorado? Uh, they definitely don't care for the Republican Party or Donald Trump, but they're still kind of at their core of a pretty discerning mavericky lot. I mean, then those ballot initiatives, some in the press wanted to say, oh, they're, you know, they're contradicting themselves. And the truth is there are threads that connect them and they, they evaluate these things on the merits, each one sort of on its own standing. And it doesn't surprise me. I mean, they do, there's, this is a fiscally conservative state with a strong center-right impulse. You know, Craig ran the, the, you know, the tobacco campaign and did a really effective job. That one passed overwhelmingly. We ran the, the Gallagher Amendment campaign. Clearly not a binary choice, lots of ramifications. That's one they gave based on an evaluation of the, of the facts. So 
you know, it's, it's a remarkable state, the voters in the state, that this ballot was so busy, there was so much going on, and they still split their ticket on some of these ballot issues the way they did at the, at the bottom, I, I think speaks to the, you know, the intellect and how serious people take their vote in the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So the, you know, this was a partisan year, but we did see some bipartisanship with this Gallagher Amendment. Josh, was it hard to, to get those coalitions together and you know, bring that to fruition? Yeah, I mean, we're it was so much fun to be fun, part of. Um, and one of the reasons we love the ballot initiative space is because it is a chance to to work in a bipartisan way. And our partners, the legislators who push it, they came from both sides of the aisle. To me, yeah, it, it was uh, it was a great outcome and one that speaks well of you know the people of Colorado, the willing to actually make a sacrifice, give up next year's tax cut to to solve an immediate problem. I also think it speaks to people are hungry for bipartisanship. So hopefully in, in the legislature, both sides of the aisle stand up and take notice and continue to act on those those bipartisan impulses. So I wanted to get, get to this part in the podcast where it's called wait. What? 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 You know, it's something that throughout this election cycle, it really made you take a step back and just think, what is going on here? So what are what is that moment for for each of you? You want a Rochambeau for going first, Greg? <laughs> I thought you, my friend. I'm still <laughs> pondering. Yeah, I you know, it's it's I would say <laughs> there wasn't a lot of surprise in Colorado for people. You know, there's been a lot of people throwing shade at polls and obviously the polling was wrong. Our polling on a lot of these issues um, told a pretty clear story, even dating back to last year. Josh, sorry to uh, interject, but why do you think that was? Why do you think the polling was good here and, and not other places? I mean, you know, I, I about, you know, Q1 of 2018, it was clear suburban voters in particular had had absolutely enough of Donald Trump. And um, as as Craig said at the outset, kind of not on the margin, like in profound ways, like 20 points shift. And so that fundamental trend, you know, dating back to late 2017, early 2018 has been unchanged through the election. So, you know, uh, unfortunately for Republicans, there were no real surprises in Colorado. Nationally, I think the real surprise, and it should be something that checks democratic impulses to overreach is Republicans had a really good night on the congressional level. I thought that, you know, that mm-hmm. in the House, in these Senate races, you know, Republicans won a lot of races. They didn't think they would. What does it mean? It means that actually the American people really don't totally trust either party. They want checks and balances. Mm-hmm. They want leadership. They want, you know, they want a healing and, a, and, to, and to move forward. I'd say the success of Republicans at the congressional level was definitely the surprise for, for me. Okay. My wait what moment was actually very, very early in the first 24 hours of uh, ballot returns here in Colorado, which I referred to as bonkers, which <laughs> showed the unbelievable Democratic enthusiasm to elect John Hickenlooper, to elect Joe Biden, to get rid of Donald Trump, to make a change in Colorado. And that continued. Obviously, Republicans came out and voted. Uh, turnout rates amongst Democrats and Republicans eventually stabilized and were pretty close. But the, the overwhelming energy that you saw from Democrats uh, in those first 24, 48, 72 hours of vote by mail was such a signal. Uh, And it wasn't just Democrats. It was younger unaffiliated as well that were just getting those ballots back and saying, I want to be on record. This experience of the last four years has to end. It can't end soon enough. Josh, Craig, thanks so much for joining us. Yes. Thank you very much for doing this. All right. Thanks for having us on. Appreciate it. Josh, continue, man. Congratulations on Gallagher, man. That was a a big win, man. 
Appreciate well it, Greg. Same to you, my friend. Thanks for having us. That's it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Berkland with my colleague, Caitlin Kim. And a big thanks to Greg Hughes and Josh Penry. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Caitlin Kim. I'm at Benta Berkland. I'll be back in your podcast feeds next year with CPR's Andrew Kenny when the Colorado State Legislature starts its new session. So please subscribe and we'll show up in your feeds when we launch. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News.